0: at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders.
1: Hey everybody, Matt Reister at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, 2022. Here with Andrew, who's been busting his tail, producing a bunch of the interviews that we've done today. They're up on the podcast already, the ones from this morning, that's incredible. And here we've got...
2: And the app, don't forget the app. And
1: the app, oh yeah, if you don't get the app, go app is so great.
2: It's the easiest way to listen to everything we have because uh, it, it pops up right there. You can get notifications if you want to when new stuff comes up. Um, you don't have to mess around with, you know, Apple and, and Google and Spotify and whatever. They pop up all that stuff about, hey, make sure you rate our app. Uh, it, no, we it just, all the stuff's right there. You open up the app and boom, it's right there. Perfect. Love
1: it. This interview right here is with Kelvin Cochran. Kelvin Cochran was the fire oh. chief, the first african-american fire chief in shreveport louisiana he became the fire chief in atlanta he was fired no pun intended well (laughs) kind of pun intended for
2: always intend your puns
1: discrimination on on the basis of sexual orientation because of something that he wrote in a book that had nothing to do with his job about what the bible says marriage is yeah and now he's working with alliance defending freedom which is a great organization that has great attorneys that defend people for things like encroachments of religious liberty and free speech. And I'd never heard of Kelvin Cochran before today. I'd never met him. It was maybe the highlight interview of the day for me. And just a uh, spoiler alert or sneak peek, I invited him to the Cedar Falls Bible Conference to speak for a session or two. He, he was that good. Awesome.
2: Awesome. I'm excited to hear that. I mean, that'll be... Uh, I, I'm looking forward to. That. I read up a little bit on him beforehand, and and he's he was tapped by by a, a national administration. Yeah, by he the Obama administration. To,
1: something in Homeland Security. Right.
2: Yeah, like the the nation's top fire person or yeah. something like that. Yeah, which is pretty great.
1: It was really awesome. You were mentioning that you're having throat problems.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the I I, I don't have a uvula. So. I, so uh, I got it taken out a while back to hopefully to try and stop me from snoring. That's
1: that little punching bag thing. Yeah. That that we little, all have in that the back little hangy of ball throat.
2: thing in the back of your throat. I don't have one of those because, uh, during a, a, a sinus surgery, they took it out to try and help me to stop snoring. It didn't work at all. It did succeed in, uh, in making me like choke on jolly ranchers and stuff like that. Um, uh, but if I sometimes I will swallow wrong because I don't have a uvula, and then I'll just be coughing for the next like kind of ten fifteen minutes wow. because I I can't quite <laughs> I can't quite get it back. Uh, which during COVID time is is really great because I'm coughing because I, I didn't swallow right. But everybody else is sort of
1: you're getting, the love.
2: Yeah, getting socially distant from me real quick. <laughs> is there uh,
1: is there a name for people who don't have uvulas like eunuch but not? Y- y-
2: uh, it's no. <laughs> <laughs> no. no uh my 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 dad who uh who went through uh a lot of of uh cancer treatments uh, back in the day he uh he had his spleen taken out at one point and uh i used to call him the spleenless wonder uh just as a as a kind of inside <laughs> joke between the two of us so um the the less wonder doesn't doesn't have the same ring to it's mouthful i love uh, it pun intended
1: yes <laughs> Hey, listen, this Kelvin Cochran interview is going to be great. You're going to love it. And we've got a bunch of other content from this week and even before this week that uh, you're going to want to check out on the CC Podcast Conversations. Thanks so much for tuning in. Share it with your friends. Come back again. Have a good day. Matt Reister here from CC Podcast Conversations. I'm at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. I'm with Kelvin Cochran, America's Fire Chief. We're going to get to that story in a little bit. Thank you so much for being here today, Kelvin. How's NRB going for you?
3: Hey, it's a great place to be, and uh, I'm excited to be here. And thank you for uh, allowing me to be in your podcast today.
1: Yeah. So, uh, to kind of spoiler alert, you've written a book called "Facing the Fire: The Faith." that brought America's fire chief through the flames of persecution. We're going to get to that story in a little bit. But before we do that, uh, let's learn a little bit about Calvin Cochran's story. Like, uh, obviously, you're walking with Christ now. You're a follower of the Lord. You're wanting to do his work. Has that always been the case? Did you grow up in a Christian faith? Uh, Talk to me about that.
3: Yeah, I was born in uh, the deep south in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, in the early 60s, and uh, I was born at Confederate Memorial Hospital. That says a lot about wow. my beginning. And uh, my mother raised four boys and two girls all by herself. My my dad, after my two—I'm I'm the fourth of the four boys. Two sisters came after me. My dad left my mother. He was an alcoholic and a womanizer, and— uh, we were very, very poor. We were poor when dad was with us. Uh, but things got worse after dad left and my mother moved us in a shotgun house in a back alley. What's a shotgun house? It's a house that is, it looks like a trailer. Uh, and, but it's, it's on cinder. It's a, it's a wooden house with tin a tin roof and it's stacked on cinder blocks with wooden floors and you can see the cracks through the floor. Wow. Uh, They have a front room, a middle room, and a back room mat and they call them shotgun houses because the front door and the back door are aligned and if you shot a gun through the front door it'll go right out of the back door without touching anything. Wow. That's where the poor people live. No, let me correct it. That's where the poor people live. (laughs) P.O. Because the poor people lived in the projects and the poor people lived in shotgun houses. And so, we were just that poor and uh, it was in that alley, I was five years old, Matt.
1: What year is this? And
3: that was 1965.
1: So right in the heat of it.
3: Right at the thick of things in the civil rights movement. And uh, my mother joined the church at the top of the alley, Galilee Baptist Church. And that's when she recommitted her life to Christ and all of us had to go to church. And uh, I was baptized a couple of years later then, but it was at five years old, one Sunday after church, Miss Maddie How- house across the alley caught on fire. And when the Shreveport firefighters came, I looked at those guys with such excitement. And I said to my mom and my brothers and sisters, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. And the things that stood out to me the most as a little kid was God didn't intend for our mom to raise children all by herself. So I dreamed that one day I'd be a husband and a father and stayed with my family. And I didn't believe that God wanted families to be on welfare and food stamps. So I dreamed that one day I wouldn't be poor, and of course I dreamed that one day I'd be a firefighter. Well, this is what the grown-ups back then taught us, Matt. They said, in America, all of our dreams are going to come true. If we believed in and had faith in God, if we got a good education, they always said, good education. Uh They said, if you respect grown-ups and treat other children like you want to be treated, all your dreams are going to come true. And that stuck with me when I was a little boy. I was raised on faith and patriotism. And in 1981, my dream came true. I became a Shreveport firefighter.
1: So walking with the Lord, you got baptized as a young boy. Yes. Was it always just kind of up and to the right, growth in Christ from that point on, or some hiccups along the way?
3: Well, as a, as a young boy and as a youth, I was very disciplined and obedient and focused. Of course, when I went to college, uh, things got radically different. Uh, I promised my mother because I was the first one to go to college in my family. Where'd you go? Uh, Louisiana Tech University. Okay. And I w- I promised her that when I'm not at home, I was going to be in, in somebody's church in Ruston, Louisiana, and that uh, I was going to be disciplined to the things that she taught me. I I, de- I deviated from the commitment I made to my mom. I <laughs> I started hanging out with fraternity guys, and my mind was off of. Books and I ended up getting uh, kicked out of college on academic probation, and it broke my mother's heart when I told her I was going—I was not going to get to go back to Louisiana Tech the next semester because I was out on academic probation. But by the grace of God, that's when I put in my application to be a Shreveport firefighter, and I was hired on the Shreveport fire. Wow!
1: So you're hired on the department, and then eventually became the chief.
3: Yes, but it was a treacherous journey because I was one of the first African-Americans on the Shreveport Fire Department. And quite honestly, Matt, it was very, very difficult because uh, African-American firefighters were not wanted. It was a perception that black people can't do firefighting. And uh, it was a constant a uh, slate of racial slurs and jokes and tricks um, on an ongoing basis. What,
1: what about a black person can't be a firefighter? Well, I mean, what was the expectation?
3: Well, you know, it's just the history of the American Fire Service has been a predominantly white male organization. Irish, Catholic. Right, for centuries. And nepotism, you know, you had to know somebody or be somebody's relative. So it was a very, uh, very close-knit social group uh, fraternity kind of an atmosphere. And so you, if you can imagine, uh, they had some concerns that uh, a, a black guy could, you know, change things in the environment. And, and we did, but not to the worst, but for the better. And so, uh, you know, those were the days. But here's the thing, Matt, it was what I was taught as a little boy that got me through those treacherous days. It was my faith that got me through those treacherous days. And here's, here's the point. Still believing in God, education, educate yourself on the department, be competent in the job. No matter how I was treated, the rule, respect the authority of the Shreveport Fire Department applied, and then treat the other firefighters like you want to be treated. And the favor of God, Matt, was on my life because of those principles. So I promoted very quickly. In four years, I was a captain. In 10 years, I was an assistant chief. And in 18 years, I became the first African-American fire chief of the Shreveport fire department.
1: One thing I want to go back to that you just kind of said and glossed over that I want to highlight and I want to commend you for is you talked about education being a priority. Now we're talking about a college dropout. Yes. And you, you define the education as learning about the department. So one of the problems I think that we have is education has been lifted up on a pedestal in our culture and what's been lifted up is formal education. Yes. But there's all kinds of education.
3: That's right. Right? That's exactly Did you ever right.
1: get your college degree?
3: Yes, I sure did. I learned this, that in the kingdom of God, God really revealed to me that education is not about padding your resume. Right. Higher education in the kingdom perspective is the more you know, it increases your capacity to serve on mm. another level. And so my, I did, Finish and, and get a bachelor's degree. I went back to Louisiana Tech and got a master's degree. And about two years ago, I completed a doctoral degree in, in leadership. And my whole motive for all of that is I just wanted to serve on a higher scale.
1: You're not chasing titles, That's initials, right. that kind of stuff.
3: That's exactly right. I never used doctor. I never asked people to call me. That stuff is not important to me. I just wanted the information so that I could serve well for the glory of God.
1: That's awesome. So um, before we get into this story, tell me about um, just your, your face story. Like, when did you get to the point where you said you kind of stumbled a little bit in college, and now you're sitting here telling me that you wanted to learn so you could serve to the glory of God. Like, at some point, you spiritually grew. Was that just gradual, or was there a a spike in your spiritual growth at some point, or what?
3: Yeah, after I, you know, finally got towards the end of my terrible 20s and realized that my plan wasn't working better than God's plan and surrendered my life wholly to God, uh, I was working at a General Motors plant in Shreveport part-time, and the former chief of training of the Shreveport Fire Department asked me one day, Kelvin, you know, what do you see for your vision for your career? And uh, I was assistant chief of training at the time. So he's very familiar with the culture. And I said the next step for me is to be the chief of training. And he said to me, "Kelvin, you're not dreaming big enough. You're not thinking big enough." He said, "Did you, do you did you finish your college degree?" I said, "No." He said, "You need to get your finish your college degree." And he said, "You need to pre- be preparing yourself to be the fire chief one day." Wow. And that woke me up, man. And I you just suddenly realize the door is open if I want to go through it. Absolutely. And I had that advice from one of the most respected uh, members of the history of the Shreveport Fire Department. Wow. So it meant a lot to me. Yeah. And I've been hungry for knowledge ever since.
1: Did you pave the way for a bunch of other African-Americans to come through the Shreveport Fire Department?
3: Man, it's amazing that you asked that question because when I was going through what I went through as one of the first, that was constantly on my mind. That. Uh, like Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Which means that you just can't address everything that's thrown at you, you know, that's coming your way. Even though you may be justified in complaining, don't complain about everything. Just keep your nose to the grind, prove that you're competent and capable, because how you respond is going to be the model of how they see other black firefighters that come after you. so. That was a part of my mindset that entire time.
1: What a burden! Yeah. I mean, it's a Jackie Robinson story in a sense, right? Yes. I mean, in the Shreveport Fire Department, I mean, and and you know everyone's familiar with Jackie Robinson, high-profile guy, and you just think about just what you described. How do you take all that and not let it make you bitter and angry, like you said? I've got a Kenny Rogers story in a second, but wanting to just fold and and run.
3: You have to know that you have a calling on your life from God. And uh, knowing that that dream was born on the front porch of a shotgun house, and it came from God, uh, it gave me the grace that I needed uh, to have the disposition and the strength to endure those uh, challenging days. Uh, God, uh, it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite heroes in the Bible, Joseph. Yes. You know, Joseph had an opportunity to be really disgruntled because his brothers sold him into slavery. He never demonstrated that in the Scripture. He really had an opportunity to be angry when he was unjustly accused of attempted rape and yeah. unjustly incarcerated, but he didn't take yeah. that disposition. So I learned from Joseph's life, you know, how to respond when the chips... Uh, when your back is seemingly against the wall. Here's something I think is appropriate here. I never saw myself as a victim. I never saw myself as a victim. Why is that important to say today? Because those who are advocates for critical race theory would have African Americans to see themselves as oppressed and eternally oppressed. There's nothing you can do about it. And they would have us as believers to see white people as oppressors and eternally oppressors, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yes, yeah. that goes against the gospel. It goes against scripture. It goes against salvation. It goes against our doctrine of predestination. It goes yeah. against what we believe about forgiveness. Yeah, uh, and I never saw myself as a oppressed person. Yeah, because of the God that we serve. Yeah, uh, He just kept my eyes looking to the hills from with coming to my help.
1: Did some of that come... I mean, did your mom teach you some of that? Or, or your family? Or, I mean... I mean, you say it's from the Lord, and I believe it is from the Lord. Yes. But in... in I mean, take race out of it. But there's a lot of kids... I coach basketball. Uh, high school varsity boys basketball. And there are some kids coming with attitudes about entitlement or about victim being a victim and other kids aren't coming and there's no we're we're all white kids you know what i mean so it's not a racial thing right this is a lot of it you look back at the home and you go okay yeah in one sense the kids that get it the lord is kind of sovereignly shaping their perspective yes but in another sense he's using their parents to teach them this stuff so when like what what role did your mom play in all that
3: oh she played a major role in it you know uh, um I've got this definition of at risk that's different from what the government uses for at risk. Okay. When the government says a kid is at risk, they're saying it's a kid that is from a single uh, a parent with uh, with a single parent with a bunch of kids in a poor neighborhood on welfare, welfare and food stamps, and doesn't have a dad in the home. That's at risk. That's an at risk kid or at risk family. Pretty broad brush stroke. That's right, but my what God has shown me, an at-risk family. My family was not an at-risk family, even though it met met that demographic. I got you. The reason why my family was not an at-risk family is because my mother had a vision for her children that came from Scripture, and she instilled hope in her children through the Scripture and through the Constitution of the United States of America. God bless her. Uh, At-risk family is a family that doesn't have a parent that actually understands how the scripture applies to the lives of her family or their family and that does not feed the dreams of their family. No matter what your demographic, if there's not a godly parent that's feeding the dreams of their children, then that's an at-risk family.
1: Hey, I'm going to steal that. I like that. Have you taken any blowback for that? No no
3: no i have not that's because good. it's true <laughs> well
1: the right people haven't heard it yet someday someone's gonna hear that you're gonna get some blowback but
3: well i bring it on because it's, <laughs> it's, it's the truth and i god has taught me to stand on truth
1: i gotta tell you this kenny rogers story quick which has nothing to do with anything we're talking about last night my wife is here with me and uh right across the parking lot is a grand Ole opry and stephen curtis chapman played there last night wow the christian artist so we saw that we're like let's go over and hear Stephen Curtis Chapman well the Grand Ole Opry is a radio program it's a three hour radio program that they broadcast live and so they bring in like six or eight different acts who do two or three songs so it's in and out in and out so we're only gonna hear Stephen Curtis Chapman for like three songs and we didn't know anyone else on the the slate the guy comes up to the stage he gets introduced with this big has all these credentials he's a singer-songwriter he blah 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 Hall of Fame this and that and uh his name was Don Schlitz and Bill Cody, who's the host of the radio program and the MC of the night, everyone welcome Don Schlitz, everyone kinda claps. Don Schlitz walks up to the mic and he goes, How do you know who I am? Like no one's ever heard of me. Like what are you clapping for? Kind of making fun of us, like why are you clapping for me? You've never heard of me. And then he goes, but said, I'm pretty sure you've heard this song that I wrote when I was twenty four years old, and it was the gambler, Kenny, Kenny Rogers. Wow. So just last night across the parking lot we got to hear the guy that wrote The Gambler sing The Gambler and we thought we were going to a, uh, a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert but that was the highlight of the night Wow! so man. when you're quoting those verses uh, during one of the courses at the end he stopped and he's like y'all know this song and almost no one is singing Like, you get a chance to sing with the writer of the song let's go uh-huh, yeah,
3: so anyway, that's pretty cool uh,
1: let's jump into the, your story um, you're the Shreveport fire chief and and what happened?
3: Well, when I was, after I had served Shreveport for about eight years, I was recruited to come to the city of Atlanta to serve as their fire chief under the Honorable Mayor Shirley Franklin. I served her for two years, Matt, and President Obama gets elected, and I was appointed to be the head of the United States Fire Administration within the Department of Homeland Security. A year later, Atlanta elected a new mayor who came to Washington, D.C. and recruited me to come back to serve as fire chief in Atlanta. About two years after I got back, I wrote a book for a Christian men's Bible study. The title of the book is Who Told You That You Were Naked? Now, when people hear that title and don't connect that to Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, they probably say, well, no wonder the guy got fired. <laughs> but that's the question God asked Adam in the Garden of Eden. The, the premise of the book, was for Christian men who continue to struggle with condemnation Yeah. after Jesus has forgiven us for all of our sins.
1: Romans 8, 1, right? Right, There's right. now no condemnation. No
3: condemnation, but too many Christian men still live with condemnation. And uh, that's the premise of the book. And But there was about four pages where I talked about biblical marriage and sexuality because many Christian men still struggle with sexual sin. A year after the book came out. Which was when? Which was in uh, 2014. Okay. <clears throat> A firefighter thought it would be a good idea to show those pages where I spoke about marriage and sexuality to an openly gay Atlanta City Council member. He was offended by what the Bible said that I had written about marriage and sexuality. He complained to the Honorable Mayor, Kasim Reed, who supported that agenda, and because of their political support for him when he was reelected, he, I guess, felt he owed them a, a debt so he initially suspended me for 30 days. The idea behind the suspension, Matt, was to investigate to determine if I had ever used my biblical views to discriminate against anyone from the LGBTQ community. Within the fire department? Within the fire department or the city. Those that had been interviewed said that I was one of the most fair, just guys that they had ever worked for. But now that they know what I believe, they don't want me to uh, lead them anymore. So after the end of the 30-day suspension, I was terminated. So it was when I was terminated.
1: Did they find evidence that you had discriminated against someone on the basis of sexual orientation or what?
3: No, they completely exonerated me and actually said that in the investigation, Uh, but I was terminated nonetheless. But that's when God stepped in. God reminded me that he had been preparing me for that moment my entire life. And uh, so that's what the book Facing the Fire is about, you know, showing how the hand of God was in my life from childhood, in my youth, in my terrible twenties, during the challenging years in my fire service career. And that his deliverance in all of those seasons and stages of life is evidence that he is with me now and would see me completely through. Wow! And that's when I discovered that there was a Christian law firm named Alliance Defending Freedom who took on my ADF who took on my case. ADF takes on cases pro bono because they have wonderful ministry friends and donors that fund everything that they do. So I went through this major four-year legal journey uh, with Alliance Defending Freedom providing not only sound legal counsel but ministry support I was blessed to be a part of a strong church in Atlanta, and Dr. Craig L. Oliver, Sr., and Elizabeth Baptist Church nurtured and supported my family along the way. And after four years was vindicated, the judge ruled that the policies that the city used to terminate me were unconstitutional based upon freedom of speech and freedom of religion. But here's the shouting part, that Now, government employees, based upon that case, can have the confidence that they can live out their faith in their personal lives without the fear of consequences as I experienced. So it's a precedent setting case. So for is your name on employees. it? Is it yes. Cochrane versus yes. whatever? Yes, this versus the city of Atlanta.
1: I've so. always been like, that would be one of the coolest thing of all time to have a, a precedent setting case for some righteous cause with your name on it. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's cooler than having a a book, right? Right.
3: It's more humbling, which means that you know more people are going to benefit from the outcome of that case. More government employees, in particular, should be confident knowing that they don't have to hide their faith, not just the Christian faith, but freedom of religion benefits all Americans and all people around the world, and in our country, uh, it's constitutional. So yeah. it's a blessed assurance associated with the victory that I experienced.
1: So. One thing I've noticed already is you're referring to this mayor as the honorable so-and-so, like you're being very respectful and professional. I mean, so you've got a certain demeanor about you that I don't have because I wouldn't have the same attitude or the same words. Or I don't know if you had to like talk yourself into that in front of the mirror today for an hour before you came over here, <laughs> um, but is there any recourse toward the people who you were wronged by?
3: Well... You know, not really. The settlement really does it all. You yeah. know, it's, you know, and so there's no recourse, you know, other than, you know, the promises that God has made, yeah. you know. And so I, on that basis, I have compassion for all those, uh, you know, who work this strategy to uh, really literally try to destroy my my life and my career based upon my biblical views. Uh, but the respect, Matt, comes from, again, it comes from, my biblical heroes, yeah. heroes, you know, Joseph is a good example of how he really was so respectful towards Potiphar and Pharaoh, yeah. and how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were so respectful towards Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. and how Daniel was so respectful towards uh, Darius the king, that, yes. you know, and and they, you know, it taught me that, yes. and David was so respectful and honorable towards Saul. Who for 14 years yeah. tried to hunt him down and kill him? Right. And so those guys really taught me, uh, modeled the behavior that I, that that came from.
1: We've got another podcast <clears throat> under the umbrella of this ministry called the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions. It's a daily devotional podcast, six days a week, and we're doing a Bible overview. Started in May of 2020 in Genesis one, we're in Mark right now. Some five or six hundred episodes, whatever it is, and. Um, You mentioned several examples right there from the Old Testament. Yes. Um, And one of the things, one of our battle cries is like evangelicals today are a little superficial and a little bit only focused on the New Testament and really just the Gospels, just the death, resurrection, the ministry of Jesus. And if you're gonna be the kind of guy that Kelvin Cochran has become and gonna take a stand against adversity the way that you have, not just this but even through your life the discrimination and, and all the stuff that you were experiencing before that you got to have a strong foundation in the word of god yes and not just uh as Vodi bacham calls it not just the right side of the bible but also the left side there's a lot of rich stuff yes. from the old testament and you just reel off like three or four examples that if you let that seep deep into your bone marrow you can be a strong man of god
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, you know, over the years I've had this discipline. I talk about my terrible 20s. One of the spiritual disciplines I committed to God coming out of my terrible 20s when I rededicated my whole life to Him was I was going to spend time with Him every morning. And uh, it's been one of the most transformative disciplines in my whole life. And reading the Bible has been a, a big part of that. And it was the life of those biblical Heroes and she rows in the Old Testament mm-hmm. that really teach us, uh, you know, who God is in those circumstances and how we can respond, even into, into society, you know, even under the face of persecution.
1: Yeah. I should ask you this: Do you need to leave at four thirty, or or what time is it? Three. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. What time does he need to be done? 3:30 or 4? Uh, uh, before 4
3: because we, like so we just have to run across
1: for. Just a little before 4? Like 10 minutes? Okay. By the way, we don't edit this stuff. We're just going to let that go. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> that's part of being an NRB. I love it. Like, it's it's not real uh, formal. But I just I want to know how much time I have if I want to get into something else with you. Um, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Now, I've said before, I told you this before, this is not a political ministry. We want to focus on the word of God. We want to focus on the gospel, uh, the truth of God's word. That's where we're gonna stand. We're not gonna get involved in a bunch of political disputes. However, and I don't even mean to say however, it's not a however, it's a, at the same time, there is an assault against religious liberty in this country. It's not Republican, Democrat, It's deeper than that. Right. I mean, I'd say it comes from the pit of hell. Right. That's how deep it is. Um, What have you learned in your journey through this with ADF, et cetera, that you would, we're going to have some listeners to this podcast who are going to go like, oh, I don't want to hear this political stuff. Um, And I think there are a lot of Christians who are on the sidelines on an issue like this that is very important because they don't wanna be political. Right. So what would you say about the experience you've had that isn't political, but just like, hey Christian, wake up, this is happening, and here's what you need to do or pray about or think about or whatever.
3: Yes, you know, it's clear that religious liberty, freedom of speech is under an assault, uh, a vicious attack, uh, in our beloved United States of America. And uh, my case is just a growing list of many where a government entity and special interest groups have worked together to impose adverse action on another American for publicly proclaiming a position of faith based upon biblical truth that's not consistent uh, with popular culture are uh, the shifting pluralisms of political correctness. And it has nothing to do with politics. It's just the silencing of our faith. And so because of that, it has become um, an occupational hazard to be openly Christian today in the United States of America. And one of the reasons why is there are too many believers who have become silent and passive, and the body of Christ, Matt, has become so divided by politics and race and even denominations that our voice, our collective voice, has been weakened and in many cases silenced. And the enemy, the enemy, is just having a field day because he knows uh, that he has us so divided and passive and silent uh, that he's really running roughshod over believers who are afraid to speak the truth for fear of the consequences that might happen. So uh, we have the challenge, first of all, to set aside our differences in denominations and politics and uh, even our racial differences to come together as a unified body to do the things that are necessary to keep the doors open for the gospel for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. There are five things that I believe that Alliance Defending Freedom believes are necessary to keep the doors open for the gospel. And every believer listening right now, they're going to immediately resonate. For the gospel to spread generationally, we have to have freedom of speech. You have to be able to speak it. You have to have freedom of religion. You have to be able to live it out. We have to have biblical marriages and biblical families because the gospel is spread through families. And to do it God's way, family means one man and one woman who have, through the gift of procreation, can have children. So the sanctity of life is essential to the spread of the gospel. And then the fifth thing is parental rights. Parents have to have a say in training up their children in the way that they should go so that they can carry forth not only their family legacy, but the legacy of the gospel from one generation to the next. That has nothing to do with politics, but it's living out the faith that we proclaim as sons and daughters of God.
1: Amen. Don't you think, as you've gone through this, I would think you know this better than anyone, that a lot of the deterrent that the culture brings against people who believe the things we believe is just a bunch of hot air and fear There, there's no teeth to this there is no teeth to this and, and we got a bunch of Christians because they're not men of God or women of God who are strongly founded in his word they don't know the story of Joseph or Daniel or Shadrach Meshach and Abednego or and so They don't have the confidence and the strength to withstand the fear mongering that takes place. But if they did, you just see it for what it is. This is a paper tiger.
3: That's exactly right. And there are five things. I want to share them real quickly with you that God has taught me to teach other believers. The first thing is when you face that test, know that God has already prepared you for it. God would not put us in that predicament unless he had come to the conclusion that he had properly equipped us for it. That's number one. Number two is the toughest of the five lessons. There are worldly consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ. It's very obvious. I mean, Jesus
1: went to the cross because of it.
3: Absolutely. But let me give you some recent examples. They're happening every day, but remember about five years ago, 21 Christian Egyptians were captured by ISIS and said, you're going to die today. The only way you get to live is to reject Christ. They refused, and their heads were cut off. And at that same time that in Afghanistan and villages where Christian families were known to live, the Taliban would identify those families and call the family into a room and tell the dad, your children are going to die today. The only way they get to live is for you to reject Jesus Christ. And that's not a single case on record where one of those fathers rejected Christ and their precious children were killed right in front of them. In that same era, and this was right when I was terminated, uh, in Northern Kenya, there's a college campus where Muslim and Christian students were known to attend. A radical group of Islamists stormed the college campus and separated the Muslim students from the Christian students and told the Christian students, y'all gonna die today, the only way you get to live is to reject Jesus Christ. Matt, 125 college kids were gunned down and bludgeoned because they refused to reject Jesus Christ. Man, there are worldly consequences for standing up for biblical truth and standing for Christ. But here's the heartbreaking part. In the United States of America, God knows that his sons and daughters are not prepared for those kinds of tests because we would fail because we have Christians who are elected officials who reject Jesus Christ, not because they're gonna lose their head, but because they're gonna lose an election. Amen. We have business owners who reject Jesus Christ and living out his principles because they're afraid they're gonna lose a government contract or some customers. We have college kids who reject biblical truths in their relationships because they're afraid they're gonna lose a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Preach. So we're not prepared for those kinds of tests. There are worldly consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ. But number three is exciting. There are kingdom consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ. And the kingdom consequences matter always, always greater Far than further. the worldly consequences. The reason why we don't see a lot of that today is because there's too many sons and daughters of God who have more fear in the worldly consequences than do they do faith in the kingdom consequences that Jesus promised. Jesus said, whatever you lose standing for me, I'll restore it 100-fold in this life. But we don't have enough courage to put him to the test. The fourth thing I've learned is when we do have the courage and grace to stand, uh, our persecutors get to see a side of God that they would have never seen. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar said when he put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? He said, I put three in there, I see four. One of them looks like the son of God. Mm -hmm. Then when he brought him out, he said, no one should worship any other God but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He got to see a side of God that he would not have seen if those boys would have bowed down. Mm -hmm. But here's the other side of it. They got to see a side of God that they would not have seen if they had bowed down. Mm -hmm. So we deprive ourselves today of seeing a side of God that he wants to show us, but we don't get to see it if we bow down and those who are trying to hurt us get to see God, but they don't get to see him if we bow down. Here's the last, fifth thing. That sons and daughters of God, who do have the courage and grace to stand, their life of blessing goes to a whole nother level. Job was restored twice as much as he lost. Esther was given the estate of Haman, the guy who was trying to uh, kill the Jews, Her, cousin who raised her as a daughter. Mordecai, he was made the prime minister. Joseph became a prime minister. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego became governors. Jesus has the name above every name. Every time a son or daughter of God stands, God elevates their life. I was the fire chief of Atlanta. When I got fired, God gave me a job as chief operating officer of Elizabeth Baptist Church. I still had chief in my title. And five years after that, the same law firm that defended my case now hired me on staff. Now I'm the senior vice president of human resources and faith initiatives for Alliance Defending Freedom. My life has gone to a level that's exceeding abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. Wow. But it would not have happened if I would have bowed down and given in.
1: Wow. Is this? Like your next book or what? It's in this book. It's Facing in this book? Fire. Yes. That is good stuff. Yeah. Um, this, uh, this question has gone through my mind a couple times while we've been sitting here, and this is a lightning rod question. Um, and I, I just want to acknowledge something that the whole racial conversation in our country has made it so uh, fearsome to ask a question related to race. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like, man, we are walking on eggshells. Who knows who knows what I could say wrong? Right. And I'm just gonna blow myself and our ministry up or whatever. And I'm right. you know what I mean? Yeah, I It's so that. touchy.
3: Yeah.
1: Here's my I'm gonna ask it anyway. Ask I'm me, gonna face that. the fear, right? I'm inspired that's by that's you. Right. <laughs> Do you think that the things you're saying have any more potential to be heard or to have influence because you're a black man and not a white man?
3: No, it depends on the audience. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I believe I hear what you're saying. First of all, the testimony I just shared has nothing to do with my race.
1: Amen. It has
3: everything to do with the predestined plan that God had for my life before the foundation of the world. The Bible says in Psalms 139, I think it's around verse 16, where King David was thinking about his life. He said, all the days of my life were written in your book before one of them came to be. God predestined our lives before the foundation of the world for his glory. My journey is just living out the story of God in my life. God predestined me to be a boy so that one day I would be a husband and a father and procreate children to to teach them the gospel and spread the gospel. God predestined me to be a firefighter who would one day be the chief of a, chief administrative officer of a church and be the head of human resources for Alliance Defending Freedom. It has nothing to do with my race. He didn't set him on, just birth the black boy so he can do all these things. Mm-hmm. I just happened to be, he predestined me to my race. Mm-hmm. It was not accidental, it was intentional. God has his own reasons for giving us the races, and I just want to glorify him for all his reasons, Matt. Amen. In every area of my life. Amen. Yeah.
1: Gosh, this is so good. Uh, is there anything else you want to say? Uh, where do we find you online, and where do we find ADF online? Uh,
3: you can find at ADF at adflegal.org, adflegal.org, and all that's pertaining to me, can be found also on adflegal.org in my story. The book Facing the Fire can be found on the normal online outlets, Barnes and Noble, Books and Millions, Amazon. Amazon, yes, and so they can uh, purchase a copy of uh, Facing the Fire. There, By right
1: Kelvin way. Cochran. Um, what other things is ADF working on right now in terms of legal cases for the sake of defending religious liberty?
3: So well, there are five areas that we call the generational wins that really all of our cases fall under: uh, religious freedom, freedom of speech, marriage and family, parental rights, and the sanctity of life. So we have cases ongoing in those five areas, and the motive behind it is those areas are necessary to keep the doors open for the gospel. We have an initiative Matt, that going on that's called the generational wins. We call those five things generational wins. We have a generational wins prayer initiative where we are seeking to recruit one million prayer intercessors over the next three years to pray for the five generational wins in all of our cases on an ongoing basis. And if they want to be a part of that one million, they can simply go to adflegal.org forward slash prayer And there's a quick 30-second way to sign up to join the Generation Wins Prayer Initiative.
1: Awesome. Kelvin, this has been a pleasure. Let me just tell you that um, this is our first year at NRB as, uh, what do you call us? Exhibitors. As exhibitors. Gosh, it's been a long day. And uh, what I didn't know is how many requests for podcast interviews I would get. I mean, just been inundated by it. And, and I just trusted the Lord to help us sort through which ones do we have time for, which ones are gonna be most fruitful. And for whatever reason, as I read through what we got from you guys, you know, yours kind of came through the filter and I'm so glad it did because wow. this has been a really, really rich conversation that is gonna bless our audience and I just want to thank you for taking time for us. Thank you for standing firm and being an inspiration to us. That when, when the time of testing comes, we can stand as well.
3: That's right. The
1: Lord's faithful. Yes. He's got nothing to fear. That's right. And uh, you're you're a testament to that. And it's it's been inspiring to sit across the table for you.
3: Well, it's been a blessing talking to you, Matt. You're so easy to talk to, brother. And I hope this is not our last time hanging out together. No, thank you so much, Calvin. My pleasure. Yeah.
0: 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference equipping believers with the truth of God's word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.